Well, good evening. Good to see you this evening. Ephesians chapter 4. Just a reminder, Sunday starts our 14-week Heart of Worship series. Hope you'll not only be able to be with us, but maybe even be able to invite somebody to come with you and be right in here in this room at 10 o'clock sharp so that we can begin to worship the Lord. So last week, at the end of chapter 3, we examined the prayer of Paul for the maturity of the Ephesian Christians. And Paul now is going to amplify upon that in this passage we're going to look at this evening in the first 16 verses of chapter 4 because he says to them, look, I'm praying for you to grow. I'm praying for you to mature. But you've got to want it too. You have to want it individually and you have to want it as a church. It needs to be a goal of your life. It needs to be the goal of our church. That whatever we do, whatever endeavor we take on, is it increasing our growth and maturity? If it's not, then maybe we should lay it aside and adopt something or you know, go another direction or something because Paul's going to remind us once again in this passage, that's why God designed the church the way he did. And that's why he designed us the way that he did. That our spiritual growth does not take place in a vacuum. He designed us to grow into him and into each other and that our growth then affects our brothers and sisters' growth. Now the sobering thing is, the opposite of that is true. Our lack of growth, our lack of maturing, also negatively affects the body because as Paul says, and we're going to see it here tonight, we are all part of the body. And Paul's been talking about this throughout our study of Ephesians, how Jew and Gentile were brought together and how we're all part of the same body. And just like our physical body, when, when one part is not functioning correctly, it obviously takes the focus off of the rest of the body until we get that thing taken care of or get it fixed. It can become even all-consuming. Even something as small as an ingrown toenail or something, you know. It can literally divert our attention away from every other part and be focused on that. So for us to see clearly here that this should be our goal, I want you to notice a couple verses tonight. First of all, notice in verse 12 of Ephesians 4 that he tells the leaders of the church that it's up to them to equip all the saints in the church for the work of the ministry. And then he says this, to build up the body of Christ. Then notice what he says towards the end of verse 13. The goal being 
a mature person attaining to the measure of Christ's full stature, meaning to become who God created us to be and who he saved us to be. Again, as a church and as individuals. Notice in the middle of verse 15 that we will all grow up into Christ, who is the head. And finally, in verse 16, the body grows. Notice how often the word grow or the words built up or the word mature is used. It is the goal of a Christian. It is the goal of the church. And again, Paul is saying that our growth will positively affect other parts of the body. Our lack of growth will also affect other and every part of the body, which is why we all are tied together and why then all of us should be focusing on the same goal. By the way, I want you to go back to verse 12 and look at it for a moment. Notice he doesn't say to build out the body first. He says to build up the body of Christ. And that's why we have the philosophy of ministry that we do here at the Oasis, which is different from other churches maybe. Not all churches, but some churches. And that is we believe that the first priority is to concentrate on our spiritual growth, to build us up. Then we build out from being built up, you see. As my mentor once told me, Jeff, you take care of the depth of your ministry and God will take care of the breadth. That's true as a church. That's true individually. If we just focus on growing deep and putting our roots down deep in the Lord, then the extent of our reach, the extent of our ministry, uh, the extent of the lives that we influence and impact, that will be up to God. But God will work out of and actually works most effectively out of those Christians who are growing and maturing, not out of shallow, superficial Christians who are remaining, you know, in a, in a childlike state. That's not how the body grows, you see. So we build ourselves up before we build out so that we have a solid foundation. As I've said, the greatest witness even to an unbeliever is not an immature Christian, it's a mature Christian. It's a growing Christian. That's the greatest witness that an unbeliever can have in their life is a growing, maturing Christian. So that's why here at the Oasis, we focus through our worship and through the word of building each other up so that not only will we be growing and not only then will we be a positive impact on all of our other brothers and sisters in Christ in this church, but then we will be a more effective witness as we go out into the world and, and really demonstrate what a growing, maturing Christian looks like over someone that is very immature and childlike. In fact, he even says in verse 14, let's no longer be children tossed back and forth by waves and carried about by every wind of teaching, by the trickery of people who craftily carry out their deceitful schemes. You see, immature believers are very unsettled, 
very restless, very unstable, and that is not a good witness to an unbeliever. The best witness to an unbeliever is somebody who's stable, somebody who's secure, somebody who's not restless, but who's resting in God no matter what the circumstances of their life, you see. That speaks louder to an unbeliever than, you know, anything. So that's why the goal of our church and the goal of us as a community of believers, the goal of everything within our church, and the goal of us as individuals should be exactly what Paul said. My goal should be to build myself up or to be built up so that I can build others up. It should be that I am making a goal to be a mature person in Christ, not remain a baby Christian or even an, an adolescent Christian or a, a young Christian. I want to be a mature Christian uh, attaining to the full measure of Christ's full stature. I want to grow up into Christ, verse 15, and I want to grow, verse 16. Now, Paul could have just left it there and that would have been a pretty, you know, inspiring message, if you will, of why we should all have a goal of spiritual maturity and spiritual growth. But Paul goes beyond that. Paul wants to give the Ephesian church evidences, if you will, of their growth, which is really important. You know, when you set a goal out there for anything, you, you want to have some kind of idea, am I beginning to reach that goal? Am I beginning to attain that goal? Am I, am I beginning to accomplish that goal? We should have goals like spiritual maturity, but we should also be able to know how we gauge that a little bit. Again, as a church, as a church and as individuals. So that's what Paul does here in the first 16 verses of, first, or of Ephesians chapter 4. And, and I want to identify each of these goals just with one word and then we'll sort of maybe expand on it a little bit, but I want to begin back in verse 1 with something very powerful that Paul says too. As he's talking to them about evidences of spiritual maturity in the body, notice he starts out by saying, I therefore the prisoner for the Lord. Literally in the original, it's prisoner in the Lord. You know what Paul's saying? He's saying, I'm not chained to these Roman guards. I'm chained to Jesus Christ. I am bound to him. And when a Christian gets to the point, regardless of what their circumstances, when they realize, I am chained to Christ, I am bound to Christ, then really there is nothing else that can truly imprison us. There is nothing else that can bind us, if you will, if we are truly bound and locked in to Jesus Christ, just like Paul is, you see. That's the perspective that Paul had. And he, he's now going to urge them literally encourage them, he's going to, even though he's in prison in Rome, he, he's going to, in spirit, travel across the miles, and he's going to put his arm around their shoulders there in Ephesus and say, so come on now, let's go after this together. You know, and I'm not, I'm not urging you, I'm not encouraging you, I'm not asking you to do something that I'm not doing myself, because you obviously can see that I am here uh, under house arrest in Rome because of Jesus Christ and my relationship to him. If, I would not, if it would not be for my witness of Jesus Christ 
and standing up for Christ and his gospel, I wouldn't be in this position. But I'm certainly not upset about it because Paul had gotten to the place where he'd rather be a prisoner of Jesus Christ than a prisoner of anything else. <laughs> he'd rather be bound to Jesus Christ than bound to anything or anyone else because there is no better person to be connected to each and every day. And we've talked about that through our series on fellowship in 1 John. And it's a powerful, it's a powerful visual, if you will, uh, of what true fellowship is all about, where we literally are chained or bound to Jesus Christ every day. And whatever is his will, whatever his desires are for us at that point, we're just right there, and he, he takes us wherever he wants to, and we obediently follow. So the first evidence of spiritual maturity, I'm going to use this word, priority. Priority. And, and really, it, it should be having the right priorities, because that's what Paul talks about in verse 1. He says, I therefore, the prisoner for the Lord, urge you to live worthily of the calling with which you have been called. How do I get priority out of that? The word worthily or to live worthily. It means to give appropriate value and worth to something. And Paul is saying, are you in Ephesus giving appropriate value and worth to the calling that God has on your life? To the, to the invitation of God uh, in your life and even a, and as your church? Are you prioritizing? Is, is what is of value to God the same value to you? That, that's really what Paul's saying because he's using a word that means equal weight. He's saying, here's the weight God puts on you being a part of his body and you maturing and you growing and, and a following his calling. Are we putting the same equal weight on what God puts weight on? And the things that God doesn't put a lot of weight on, the things that really don't matter that much to God then, do they not matter that much to us? Paul says that needs to be the way we live our lives because that is an evidence that we are maturing and that we are growing, you see, is when we begin to to get into our life the right priorities of our life, that we discover through our fellowship with God and through spending time with God and worship and in the Word every day, what is of value to God? What's God think is most valuable? What, what does God think is, you know, of great worth? Those are the things we want to invest in. Those are the things we want to be a part of. Those are the things we want to make sure that we make time for. And that's what it means to live worthily of the calling. And then when God does specifically guide or lead us to do something, invites us to something, calls us to something, that that carries a lot of weight. <laughs> it's like, okay, God, if that's what you want me to do, if that's when you want me to do it, if that's who, then God, I, I, I'm all in, God, because that's, that's important. That's important to you, God, that you have, have taken the time to move in my life and reveal that to me and, and gifted me for that and, and, and given me this opportunity. So, God, I'm going to value that just as much as you do in my life. Priority. All of us have the stewardship. 
throughout our Christian life of balancing and maintaining proper priorities. And we all know that the world in which we live, uh, we, we need to make sure that we don't get caught in prioritizing things that God really does not think is that important that we spend all of our time and energy and effort on and the things that God really does say is important and that we should be throwing ourselves into are the things that we make sure that we have the time and the energy and the effort to do. And obviously in the context here, it's pretty self-explanatory and self-evident that one of those things is my responsibility, which we're going to get to in a minute, to the body. Church. Church should be a priority. Why? Because my spiritual growth and being part of the body should be something that I take seriously so that because I understand now from God's word, that's how I'll grow best because spiritual growth doesn't take place in a vacuum. So if I really want to grow, I'm going to make the church a priority and then I also want to make it a priority because as I grow, then I will be able to help my other brothers and sisters in Christ to grow too and to mature because God will use me in their life to influence and impact them in a positive way. So if that's of value to God, if that's of high worth to God, then it needs to be of high value and high worth to me. Second, unity. Unity is another evidence that I am spiritually growing and maturing. Notice what he says in verse 3. Make every effort as part of the body to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Notice something. We don't create the unity. It is just simply our responsibility to keep the unity. Why? Because the Spirit of God is the one that gives us the unity. We can destroy it, but we cannot create it. It is created by the Holy Spirit. And he, he's using very strong words here. He says, I want you as a believer in Jesus Christ, who is part of the body, to make every effort on your part to make sure that you're not one that is destroying the unity of the body, but you are maintaining. You're being a peacemaker. You're, you're being forgiving. You're going the extra mile with your brothers and sisters in Christ. You're not being critical. You're not being nitpicky. You're, you're, you're trying to bring a, an attitude and actions that will do everything it can, as much as it lies within you, to live at peace with all people. Now notice something else. This all starts, if you go back up then one verse to verse two, it starts with what? Being a what? A humble person. Humble people are able to keep the unity. Why? Because pride, proud people, that very attitude in us destroys unity because pride makes it about us. <laughs> and we then put ourselves as individuals above the good of the whole or the good of the group. So that's why he starts out in verse 2 
even before he gets to the exhortation about making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace by saying, you got to be humble. Oh, and second, you got to be gentle with each other. Can't be harsh. Can't be obnoxious. Can't be overbearing and, you know, treat each other rough. You, you got to treat each other with, with tenderness and gentleness. And then patience. Literally in the original, it's have a long fuse. I've shared this with you before. It's a terrible illustration, but it's, it's from my childhood. What can I say? I grew up watching Bugs Bunny. And I grew up watching the coyote and the roadrunner. Even before I moved to Arizona, I thought it was really cool. You know, those scenes in the desert and the coyotes trying to get this roadrunner. And he would always order this stuff from this company called Acme, and it always had these like 10 mile long, you know, fuses on them. And by the time he lit them and everything, the roadrunner never, it, it always came back and blew up on him. But I'll never forget that because when I got to the Bible and I started studying the Bible and this concept of being long fused with each other, it was like, well, that was the first thing that came to my mind. Instead of just firing off because my fuse is very short, God says, no, I want to, through the Spirit, creating you to have a long fuse with each other so that you don't go off on each other unless it's really like a long way down the road, not right away. That it takes a lot for us to get upset with each other that way. And then he says this, and we'll come back to this in a little bit, bearing with one another in love. Now, Paul also here says there's a theological foundation of why God wants his church and his people to not only have the right priority, but also have unity. Verse 4, 5, and 6. Because there is only one body. There is only one Holy Spirit. And just as you two were called to the one hope of your calling, there's only one Lord and there's only one faith and there's only one baptism and there's only one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in you all. God says, look, it's all about being one, you see. And God actually is a perfect example and illustration of that. In our understanding and teaching of the Trinity, they are three distinct persons, yet they are what? One God. One God. That's how unified they are. In other words, God the Father never has an idea that God the Son and God the Holy Spirit goes, what are you thinking? I can't buy into that. No, never. That God the Holy Spirit, God the Son, Jesus Christ, and God the Father Literally, though they are three distinct persons, they work absolutely and always and have for all of eternity in unison with each other. And God wants his people, his church, to reflect him. We're going to get to that next week. Well, one of the ways we reflect God is through our unity, not through our disorder and disunity and all of that, through our schisms and divisions and all of that, that doesn't reflect God. Unity reflects God. But it starts with the right heart attitude, humility, gentleness, patience. So the first evidence Paul gives here 
to the Ephesian church when he says, I'm praying for your maturity and your growth, but let me go a step further. I could pray all day long, but you've got to want it too because God's not going to force his growth upon you. And you need to make this a goal in your church at Ephesus just as we at the Oasis need to make it a goal in our church. And then Paul begins to lay out, and you want to see some evidences of maturity, priorities, unity, third, responsibility. Literally, Paul is saying here in the majority of this passage, because we are all part of the same body, we have a responsibility towards one another. That's why I literally like just go bonkers when I hear Christians say, I don't need to go to church. I don't need to be part of a church. You know, they'll use the line, I can worship God all by myself in my house. I'm going, then you have never really read or studied or understood the New Testament, have you? Because it is clear here that God called us to be part of a body and that in, as part of that body, we have a responsibility towards one another. And God's going to hold us accountable for that responsibility. Notice what he says in verse 7. To each one, not just to the pastor, not just to the elders, not just to the worship leader, not just to the staff or ministry leaders, to every person in this body, grace has been given. Meaning, God has gifted us in some way. And it's not that we deserved it. It is out of the foundation of grace. Therefore, he says, we have been entrusted with grace gifts, if you will. And he says, we certainly can look at it that, yes, as individual Christians who make up the body, we are a gift to the church. In fact, that's sort of taught in verse 11 when he says, oh, Jesus who descended also ascended in, in, in order to fill all things. And it was he, Jesus Christ, verse 11, who gave the church apostles and prophets and evangelists and some pastors, teachers. See, Paul is teaching the church at Ephesus. You realize that God gives people to you in your church as a gift to all of you. So that means tonight, as I look around this room, do you realize you are a gift from Jesus Christ to the Oasis and that God has gifted you as a gift and he doesn't expect you nor want you nor desire you to keep those gifts and those abilities and talents to yourself, but to use them to... Build up the body of Christ, verse 12, which is what he says. Notice that we should be equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. Again, going back to, I'm not to be the only one doing ministry. Nicole's not to be the only one doing ministry. Every person that is part of this church is to be doing some kind of ministry. And we all are responsible for that, you see. That's how we grow. In fact, notice down in verse 16. As each one, each and every one 
does its part, the body grows. So, participation. Underneath, if you're, you know, taking an outline, underneath the idea of responsibility is participation. Every part of the body has a part to play, you see. So this, again, just really smacks in the face of the philosophy that many churches today is more just big auditoriums for spectators to come in on Sundays and even Wednesdays and watch the professionals do the work of the ministry instead of building up the body of Christ so that everybody has a part and everybody has a ministry and we're just simply in the position where we're just trying to train and facilitate and, and build up, but all of us are to be ministers, all of us are to be participants, not spectators. There's nothing passive about being in the body. There's nothing about being a spectator. God assumes that if you're part of my body, you have the responsibility to do your part, whatever that part is, and participate, you see. And that's how we grow. So again, notice what Paul, though, is saying in verse 16. When each one doesn't do their part, then the body will never truly grow to the extent or to the stature that it could if everybody was doing their part. So now think about that for a second. That's, that's pretty sobering, isn't it? Because even in our church, how many people come and that's pretty much it? They're not really participating. They're not doing anything. They're just showing up, you see. And the idea is there's got to be some part that you could play. I mean, goodness, even prayer. Even praying for our church regularly. And we've got a prayer ministry. Then be a part of that. But there's all kinds of different ways that people can play a part. Think of how great our churches would be and how powerful they were and how mature they would be and how growing they would be if every person that attended that church was doing something to enhance the growth of that body. That would be a powerful church. And that's the way God designed it, you see. So an evidence, if you will, of maturity is realizing we have a responsibility towards one another, you see. But it's not just participation. Notice in verse 15 the word practicing. But practicing the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into Christ who is the head. It's not just about participating. It's about practicing. What's practicing mean? It means doing something consistently, regularly, faithfully. It's one of the reasons, again, why many Christians individually and many churches never get traction because they can't do something consistently enough or regularly enough or faithfully enough to really get traction on anything and become more proficient. How do you and I gain proficiency in anything in this life? Practice. The more we do something, the more consistently we do it, the more regularly we do it, the more faithful we do it, the better we become. I, as you know, had a background at one time, many, many years ago, in sports. And I practiced my sport every day. 
No matter where my level was, I practice. I mean, you look at even today, professional athletes who supposedly are at the pinnacle of their career, they still practice every day. Michael Jordan, maybe the greatest basketball player that ever lived, practiced every day, practiced shooting every day. Every day. Because even if you get to a certain level, if you want to stay there, what do you got? You got to keep practicing. So he's saying to us, it's not even enough just to participate. We've got to do it faithfully. And that's why in 1 Corinthians 4, 2, Paul says this to the Corinthians. Moreover, it is required in stewards or in servants of God that a man or woman be found what? Faithful. It's the only requirement of being a servant of God. Just be faithful because anybody can be faithful. Anybody can be faithful. Anybody can just be consistent and be regular. That was one of the things that has helped me over the years, and when I get away from it, I pay for it, is that I need to always realize it is a cumulative effect of doing something consistently over the long haul that really helps me to make progress in my spiritual life. It's not the one or two big things that I, you know, and part of it's just getting up every day and doing the little things that I know I should do every day and guess what in a few months you start to see the effect in a few years you really start to see the effect in five years ten years wow you you won't even recognize yourself but there's got to be that consistency you see that regularity and that's part of our responsibility well one more I want to talk about our identity and our credibility, and it's all sort of tied up in one word. Because Paul's talked here about how priorities are an evidence of, you know, maturing, and unity is an evidence of maturing, and taking our responsibility seriously as part of the body is an evidence of a maturing. But where does this all lead? Well, notice what Paul says in verse 16. As each one does its part, the body grows what? In love. Verse 15, but practicing the truth in love, we will all grow, in all things grow up into Christ. Go way back up into verse 3, making every effort to keep the unity of the peace, or excuse me, before that, bearing with one another, verse 2, in love. Paul is saying to us, you want to know how you're really maturing and growing? Basically, check out your love life, spiritually speaking, especially with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Because Paul says it is all for naught if we think we're growing and maturing and we're making all this progress, but we're not any more loving towards each other than we were when we got started. Because Paul says, no. All of this can be condensed. That's our identity. That's why Jesus said, by this kind of love, the kind of love that I have for you, by that kind of love, all men will know that you are my disciples. That's our identifying mark. 
That's the one we're going after. Yes, maturity is the goal, but the end of that goal, in a sense, isn't just to grow and to mature. It's to be a loving person in, in, who's part of a loving body where we grow in love together and where we practice the truth in love and then continue to grow up into all things so that we become more and more and more loving towards one another. And that, to me, goes beyond even identity. That gives the church, the body of Christ, credibility. Because how much credibility do we really have if we, you know, try to gain the attention of the world or unbelievers or whatever, and they look at us and we're just hammering on each other and fighting with each other all the time and criticizing each other and slandering each other and gossiping about each other. Who wants to be a part of a body like that? We can stay in the world and be a part of that. You get that at school or at work or in your family or in your community. We can get that kind of treatment anywhere. The church should be a place where love reigns. Whereas we talked about in 1 John, where we receive the love that God has for us and it so transforms us that we begin to love others the way God loves us. And that that's really an evidence that we are growing and maturing. When we truly love and care and have concern and compassion, where we're moved about each other and towards each other, you see. Paul says, I'm praying for you over there. I'm praying that you grow and that you mature because that's what really it should be all about because that's the goal that God has for his people, the church, and that's why he placed us together, because he wants us to understand, I can't grow without you, you can't grow without me, we're all interconnected and intertwined, and we only grow when we come together and we use the gift that we are and the gifts that God has given us by grace to enhance the body, to edify the body, to build the body up so that you benefit and profit from me, I benefit and profit from you, and we all grow up together. And Paul says, if you want to know you're growing as a body, then where's your priorities? Where's the unity? Where's the responsibility? And where's the identifying mark, the identity, the love? One other thing, no matter what we've, how far we've come, to me, the, one of the great joys of being a Christian is we never get to a place in our earthly life where we don't have any more goals or purpose to live for because this is always ahead of us. There's always purpose for our lives. There's always goals to attain and to accomplish for the glory of God and for the good of the body of Christ. You know, so many people today are like, I, you know, I, I got to a certain time and place and I, I don't have a purpose and there's no goals in my life anymore and so many people just wander aimlessly and, and, and they have no meaningful purpose and 
I think it's great that no matter how old we get, no matter how long we've been a Christian, all of that, that we can wake up every day with fresh purpose and, and new goals and, and, and go after it every day and attack life and get the most out of it and just wring out of every day just all that God wants us to wring out of that day. And then lay our head on the pillow at night and get a good night's rest and wake up the next day going, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. May that be our heart here at the Oasis. May we be a church that always makes, no matter what we're involved with, our growth, our maturing as a body, the priority, the goal. And that as we grow, more and more people get on board with the right priorities and we're more and more unified and we take our responsibility more seriously and the love that should be our identifying mark and our mark of credibility just continues to expand and grow as well. If before I dismiss you in prayer tonight, I could just ask, would you just continue to keep this upcoming series that starts on Sunday would you please with me, join with me in bathing that in prayer? I truly believe that this is a watershed moment in our church's history. I believe this could go one of two ways. I believe God is giving us an opportunity that, man, if we seize it and we put our all into this, I really believe it could just literally transform our church and the worship of our church and that we'll never look back and we'll never be the same again and God's just going to take us from one level of glory to another or, or we could let this opportunity sort of just go by and not really get engaged and not really put our all into it and not really throw ourselves into it and just go, sort of go... Ah, And the thing that really struck me is that God reminded me is that both individually and as a church, you never stay the same. You're either moving forward or you're falling backward. And God has made it very clear to me that we have an opportunity before us to go forward. But if we don't take this opportunity as a church, we're going to fall backward. I don't want to see us do that. I want to see us keep moving forward with the Lord. So would you pray over that with me, please? Thank you. God, I just pray tonight that all of us in this church would just, would just capture, Lord, your heart for things. That we would hear your heart. That we would see your heart. That we would know your heart that we would learn the things that are of great value and worth to you and that we would go after those things with everything we've got. And the things that really are not that important are not a big priority to you if they're becoming very much a part of our life, Lord, would we have the, the courage and the wherewithal and the strength to be able to lay those things aside? And to be able, as the writer of Hebrews says, to lay all those weights aside and to run with endurance the race that is set out for us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. 
God, may we not leave this earth as individuals and as a church wishing we would have seized that opportunity and put a little bit more into that. But God, when these opportunities from you come, when these callings, when these invitations come, God, may we view them as worthy of everything we've got and that, God, we will pour everything we have into it so that we can receive the maximum benefit out of it. God, would you excite your church like never before? Would this church, God, continue to grow and become a place where we, we just have a growing number of devoted, energetic, and enthusiastic worshipers who can't wait, Lord, to come together on Sundays and Wednesdays and other times, Lord, and, and be able to come together and truly build each other up and grow and mature and build up the body of Christ and worship together and, and, and just see you, God, begin to move and work like never before. God, would that be our heart's desire? Would you take us home tonight, Lord, and give us a good night's rest so that we can wake up tomorrow, Lord, and take full advantage of Thursday. And help us not to get too caught up in Friday and Saturday and Sunday yet that we miss what you have for us on Thursday tomorrow. Give us each day our daily bread, God. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, thanks for hanging in there with me tonight. We'll see you next week.